Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, Egan Chan rocks the Hong Kong Coliseum, Ten Bin turns around, and we look at the films Lang Kui Fong, Naked Soldier, and To Roam with Love. And it's my birthday! East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, August 28th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me here from his secret location in the Fragrant Harbor on his birthday is Mr. Kevin Ma. What's up? What's up? Hey, Paul. Hi, everybody. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So have, have you gone over the hill yet? Um, if the hill is 28. Oh, okay. No, you're not quite there. <laughs> I think the new hill is 30, right? Is that what everybody tells me? Isn't the new hill like, like 50 or yeah. something? Is that so, like, something yeah, like that. Like 50 is the new 40 or I, I don't know. I, I feel 80, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, thanks for, you know, coming out on your birthday to record. I mean, I figured you'd be out in uh, Lan Kwai Fong partying, right? Because that's a uh, part of the theme of this week's show. Oh, I swear, after watching that movie, I never want to go Lang Kui Fong again. It's like, <laughs> is that the life I want? No, um, no, it's just been busy because I, I picked up some freelance work. And um, and so this week, actually, this week is quite, in addition to the birthday stuff, uh, a little swamped with work because I just picked up some translation work. And um, I'm also heading to Shanghai this weekend. Oh, that's right. You're going for, um, what is it, the film festival there? No, it's just, um, I have a long gestating project, kind of freelance project that, that I've been working on someone up there and uh and uh we are trying to get the sample out this weekend. So we're working on that. So that's what I'm going up to for for like weekend. weekend well, excellent. Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about the project or do you have to wait until it's in more of a general release? Yeah, I think we have to wait until the sample comes out, but essentially it's it's in the line of what I'm doing on Twitter and what I do for for the for my blog already. So very similar that kind of thing. But yeah, um it's it should hopefully it'll fill a very very uh, much needed void in the Hong, uh, Chinese film industry. I'm not sure about Hong Kong, but hmm. yeah, hopefully it will be something that. Wait, uh, I'm confused. You said it, it's along the lines of what you do with your blog, which means not updating. So your project is <laughs> not updating. <laughs> yeah, the, the the only way is different is that hopefully we'll be updating. Yes, that is. All right. Well, that's good to know, and, and hopefully you know when time comes, you can uh, let us know a little bit more about what's uh, going on with that. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so yeah, well, I guess we're going to talk about some films this week, right? Uh, we've got a couple to talk about. What are we going to be looking at? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about Lang Kui Fong 2 and um, Naked Soldier, the latest film produced by Wang Jing. And for West Green, I will be looking at To Roam With Love, the latest Woody Allen movie. All right, all of that and a little bit more coming up right after some news. Oh, I got no music. You got no music? No music. Uh, that's not good. Uh, I think I know what happened. Apologies, uh, listeners. I need to change the Skype preference. All right, I think that's good. Oh, there we go, because you had an echoey voice there. Yeah, sorry, I was on the wrong mic for you. Uh, Did it record then? It, no, because the recording channel is a is a different channel that's selected. Let's see what happens is uh, sometimes when I do Skype with the, with the family back in the States, um, I don't have the, the, I don't have the computer hooked up to the mixer and the condenser mic. So it's using the onboard mic. 
and I uh-huh. forget to change it back over there. Um, ah. Usually I do that in the pre-show fire up, but I was having technical difficulties and I overlooked it. My apologies. I'll edit it out. Postscript listeners probably won't know a thing that happened. Uh, but let me just uh, try that little bumper again. Make sure you can hear it this time. Oops. It'd help if I play it. All right, did you get it that time? Yep, got it. All right, sweet. All right, so we've got a couple of news stories to talk about this week. Um, up first, uh, you have some news for us, Kevin, about Mr. Wong Kar Wai. Yes, uh, Wong Kar Wai, who is supposed to be uh, actually busy finishing uh, the Grandmaster for the December 2012 release, uh, is uh, going to be the jury president of the Berlin Film Festival come February. Um, I'm not sure if he served as a, as a jury member of any, any festival before. I think maybe can wouldn't mm. be surprised mm. um but i yeah so but yeah you know apparently after he's finished with the grandmaster he's going over to berlin and uh watch a lot of movies which i guess uh, is a much much deserved break after working five years on the same movie yeah yeah you know do you get paid for that oh i'm sure i think so i think jury members get paid yeah i mean it, part of me has to wonder how he makes a living you know when he's <laughs> doing like five years between films i mean Unless he's moonlighting on the side doing something, because I mean, sure he's one car Y, but it's not you know it's it's not like he's a Spielberg, right? I mean his films don't rake in hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean I guess they could potentially over the years with uh, aftermarket sales and things, but I mean he's got to eat, right? Yeah, um, that's I think I think that's why uh, Wong Kar Wai has his own company, Jetong. Um, and I'm guessing, in addition to holding the rights to his films and you know people buying it up, and, and I'm not sure about royalties, things like it's all business things that we're not supposed to know anyway. Um, he also manages talent. The Jetong also manages talent. In fact, uh, Jetong is Tony Learn and uh, Julian Chen's manager, uh, talent company. Hmm. So I'm sure they pick up pick up certain things, a little bit of commission here and there. And I think I'm guessing that's how the company or, or Wong Kar Wai makes, um, makes a living. Yeah. I guess that's not a bad gig. I wouldn't mind owning, owning a little piece of a Tony Lung, right? <laughs> I'm not sure which piece you mean, Bob. Uh, maybe like a fingernail or something, you know, <laughs> just, just a small margin, you know, to, to help me uh, buy a lunchbox every week. You got uh, to fight a uh, Korean love for that one. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad either. <laughs> Um, all right, so yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes out of that event. Um, you know, hopefully he won't take as long to deliberate as a jury member as he does to make films, though. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be sitting there uh, thinking, yeah. everyone's like, come on, hey, come on, come <laughs> they, on. And he's they like, they won't have any results until the next year's uh, version, right? Yes, they'll announce that it's coming, but then it's like, no, it turns out we're doing re- re-voting. Yeah, we were yeah. voting, we we're recounting votes. All right, a little bit of news about another director, uh, Johnny Toe, and apparently he's won uh, Best Director, right? Yes, uh, the 11th Chengchong Film Festival, not in North Korea, apparently it's from China, uh, concluded this weekend. uh, Film Biz Asia reports that the uh, top prize uh, went to the Jackie Chan Revolutionary Period Drama 1911. What the heck? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise. In Chengchong Film Festival, I think... Uh, these these are one of those awards that happen every two years, and they often give movies to you know, um, um, uh, let's just say more celebrated movies officially, more celebrated mm. movies, so to speak. Uh, yeah, so 1911 won Best Picture, but uh, because there is justice in the world, Johnny Toe won Best Director for uh, Life of Principle. Um, and uh, for the first time in a long time, this is just as the report uh, mentioned, Dini Yip actually lost out. On, uh, on the Best Actress Award, even though A Simple Life was in the running, um, actress Ni Peng for The Sun ended up winning um, Best Actress. Hmm. Very strange. Um, but, you know, Chen, uh, it's very interesting because the, the director, the, the head of the jury here um, is director Wan Chun An, who is, you know, actually a fairly art film director. He just recently finished White Deer Plane. He also did, you know, um, A Part Together and before that uh, another acclaimed movie I forgot. But he's, you know, he's an actual filmmaker you know, whose taste wouldn't, certainly wouldn't lean towards um, a movie and I'm not sure if this is the best word to describe it, a bad movie like 1911. Hmm. Right? Um, so I would think that you know, I think these juries get certain you know, they have certain um, I'm sorry, they have certain um, how do I say? 
um, guidance hmm. in during the awards. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing out, you know. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way to say it. Um, what wasn't beginning of the Great Revival last year too? Yeah, so actually, I'm wondering why didn't it? Because I think these things happen every two years. Why something as old as 1911 and uh, even um, the Sun, which is from 2010, um, got nominated. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess in in the guidance that they, you know, in that kind of guidance, they didn't get you know something that they weren't strong strong arm, I suppose. I don't yeah. know. Well, or or this could be one of those uh, festival thing where once you give someone uh, you know one film can only win one award in each category, and they kind of like ran out of awards. Yeah, maybe they wanted to uh, recognize Jackie as well. Yeah, but not for this movie. I'm crying out loud, why? Well, it was wasn't it? Well, it was a landmark film for him, right? It was like his uh, his hundredth film. Hundredth yeah. film, yeah. Uh, perhaps that ties into it some some way or another. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to yeah, take away from the people who worked on the movie. I'm sure they worked hard. I uh, just didn't think it was a a best picture quality type of film. But uh, what do I know? I'm just a simple viewer. Uh, uh, in the chat room, uh, Blue Summers um, uh, added that uh, Wong Kar Wai does uh, commercials and short films in between movies or while he's making his movies, which is true. Yes, he just premiered, uh, I think he just did a short film uh, for Chivas that mm-hmm. premiered at um, Cannes earlier this year. How does he have time to do commercials when he's supposed to be working on a film? I mean, if I was, if I was an investor or a producer, I'd be going nuts, right? Yeah, but you know, I'm guessing. Thinking, well, what are you what are you over here doing a Shivas commercial for when you should be finishing this film? That, yeah, that I've got money in. With Wong Kar Wai, you know, he's like, I, I'm stretching this thing to five years, and suddenly he decides to stop, and he's ready to go again. Then maybe Tony Leung can't do it, or his stars can't do it. So then, you know, opens up the time, and Shiva says, "Here, you have a week. Should this thing in India? Then you know, fine. I only have a week. Then I'll do it. You know, that's how Tonkin Express was made, man. Do you think Christopher Doyle was his cinematographer for the Shivas commercial? <laughs> Didn't they like? Didn't they fall out like like ten years ago or something? Who, uh, knows? who knows? Who knows? But you know, you know, don't 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 knock the uh, the production breaks. I mean, that's how. Uh, which I th- what I think one Kar-wai's best movie was made. Uh, Chuck Express made when he was on break from Ash- uh, editing Ashes of Time. Well, uh, well, yes. Hopefully, we'll get that film sooner rather than later. Um, other news. Well, we did have a a typhoon headed our way. It was supposed to. Uh, approach us over the weekend and then another typhoon came up behind it and created what some people have called the fujiwara effect um which is a i guess it's a a difference in pressure systems when you have two typhoons or two hurricanes uh impacting each other and so basically the typhoon temlin went through taiwan was headed our way and this other typhoon came in behind it headed up towards the northwest and made temlin do actually an entire 180 and it went back through going it's currently going back through taiwan or up up the taiwan coast and away from us so fujiwara effect or lika seng shield kevin <laughs> i think i think they work together i think mm. they're in cahoots yeah so it's like a it's like a super friends kind of you know unified force <laughs> right um so yeah I, no I mean, ta- it's good for Hong Kong because you know we had people have you know it's weekend and but um, but honestly I kind of wish it would have come through. I mean, did you see the pollution index today? It yes. was like through the roof. Um, yeah, the air was quite bad today. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, you know, but you know it's it's just unfortunate for Taiwan, you know, because they had to deal with this. You know, it was it was at one point a super typhoon and then it weakened and it was out there for like for like three days and then it finally hit Taiwan and then and then it turned around and hit Taiwan again. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a good situation for them. You know, in you know, in, in some way, yes, I I do wish it kind of hit Hong Kong because you know it would have spared Taiwan from a second hit. And honestly, it wasn't that strong of a storm. It's not like we can't take it. Um, but but of course, you know, some people I'm sure you know it's good whenever for any city, you know, when they don't get hit ty- by a typhoon, especially on the weekend. So perhaps what should have so happened way, is that uh, the Republicans should have come to Hong Kong and had their convention here. <laughs> and it would have attracted the storm, right? Because <laughs> they're having a similar issue over in Florida uh, this week. Um, but yeah, Fujiwara effect or Lee Kassang Shield, we leave that decision up to you, uh, faithful listeners. Another third possibility, though, could be that it was uh, Ikin Cheng singing, right? Because yes. uh, you were at his concert over the weekend. So how was that? 
Yes. Um, I call it Ikin Geden. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, this is the second Ikin Chan concert. Uh, actually, third for for Mr. Kozo and uh, and everyone else I went with. Um, you know, it was good. I mean, he actually sang. I mean, last time he sang a lot of what we call you know like really popular songs, and it was the first time I saw him, so it was great because there was all this music that I didn't even know I remember. Um, and this time he played, he sang, you know, a little more obscure stuff. Um, you know, more like, the, you know, if, if, if he sang a lot of his movie theme songs in the last concert, then he sang the, you know, the side theme songs in this one, you know, like, um, and, uh, we were, we were very, we were very, um, giddy when he sang the fat for bad boys only theme song, hmm. which was awesome because no one remembers for bad boys only learn the song. So oh, very, no, I remember it. I love that song. <laughs> he did even like a little kick. The little kicking thing. Actually, I'll put up some pictures on the uh, Facebook page when I when I when I get a chance. Um, you know, there's some some good stuff. And also, there was a a young and dangerous reunion. because uh, I went to the second to last show, and um, the special guests were uh, Jerry Lamb, um, Ching Ka Lok, and Jordan Chan. So it was almost almost complete uh, young and dangerous reunion. But I found out that last night, which was the final show. That Jason Chu, Jason Chu, and who who actually retired from acting, uh, and director Andrew Lau showed up too, and so there was a complete Young and Dangerous reunion at the final show, and we all missed out on that, so I was a little disappointed by that. But yeah, all in all, Ikin Geden was was good. Um, I if if he ever gets a chance to go to the Coliseum again, I I might go again. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I you know I haven't been to a local concert in ages, and. Uh... I think I'd like to get out and see maybe Andy Lau or Jackie Chung again. Um, I don't know, just it, the experience seems kind of old hat now. I mean, because it's basically, regardless of who's doing it, it's still kind of the same thing, right? It's still, you know, they bring out a guest and uh, it's at the Coliseum. So, you know, uh, you kind of know what to expect, right? Well, the thing of older, I mean, older idols, you can expect the same kind of audience. You know, like Jackie and Andy, you'll be in, you have typical kind of older Hong Kong audience who like to stay sitting and seated and just listen, listen, and they don't read, they're not really into it. But, you know, younger, younger stars, you know, like I like go to Denise Ho concert or, or Fama. Um, you know, you have a younger audience and they're much more into it and they get a lot really involved and you would stay, have to stay standing essentially the entire time. Those are really fun concerts. Mm, yeah. And, and those are the ones I like to. Speaking of Andy, did you uh, watch the Miss Hong Kong uh, pageant at all last night or Sunday night? No, I was at the Eakin concert. Oh, that's right. I was at the Eakin concert. Okay, so right, so yeah. did you just try to vote? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I heard the voting system got hacked, though. Um, I didn't. Re- I didn't really watch it this year. I don't know. That's I wasn't. I wasn't that uh, interested in. Last year, um, one of my students, former students, was actually one of the contestants. So my, my wife and I watched it. Um, pretty intently last year, but this year I just I don't know wasn't really interested. But I did catch one segment where uh, Andy Lau came on and he was doing a magic trick with this magician, um, and uh, the the magician was you know speaking. I guess he doesn't speak Chinese. He's uh, he speaks English, so he was you know talking with Andy in English, and it was pretty interesting to see Andy trying to do uh, some comedy basically uh, in English. It's not something we get a chance to see uh too often uh, but it was interesting i i don't know i probably should have gone to the Eakin concert instead though <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um in and speaking of uh Eakin, i think i've got uh
so yeah, the Ikan concert went well, and uh, would you recommend people seeing him in the future? The thing is, you know, Ikin and, and us Love and Shade film people, we have a certain link towards Ikin, especially, you know, me who grew up watching his movies. So, you know, my, the mileage does vary. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going back again uh, in October twice, actually. I'm going back to the Coliseum to watch the new Day of One talk show. And uh, the uh, Soft Heart versus Grasshopper concert, which is totally a 90s kids kind of thing. It's, it's going to be perfect uh, mm-hmm. back in uh, later in October. So I can report from the from those concerts. Interesting. Uh, those, yeah. And a uh, little bit of news about uh, I saw you on you know, on Twitter today. Uh, Ekin's getting married, right? Apparently, according to Apple Daily, uh, Ekin said because everyone was expecting Ekin uh, uh, um, to to anna- to propose at at the final show, which uh, he didn't do. But he apparently told Apple Daily or told the press that yes, he will be doing it next year in kind of one of those really uh, roundabout way. Actually, everyone on stage, everyone who went on stage, the, the guests, they all you know, of course, made a made a little little quip at at Egan, tell him hey hey it's time for you to get married that kind of thing you know mm. so it was it was very much a i guess a lot of pressure on Egan to deliver but of course he didn't do the proposal but according to apple he told him that yes they would get married next year interesting so do you think we're gonna see any more Egan films in the near future well he does have the uh my wife is 18 sequel which i forgot it's called my sassy hubby coming out uh i think october so that's at least one movie mm. yeah he's gotta pay for that wedding so hopefully we're going to see some more work coming. In fact, we're going to pay for that wedding, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Dynasty tickets are not that pricey. I don't think <laughs> it's going to pay for much of a wedding uh, from Dynasty ticket concessions. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll have to pay attention to see uh, if that uh, news comes to pass. I'm sure uh, Kozo over, over at lovehkfilm.com will have a lot of fun with that in the near future. All right, why don't we move on and talk about some films, shall we? Oh, it's not working. There it is. It's trade with trade. All right. We've got two East Screen films to talk about this week. Uh, up first, the latest uh, local, what would you call this, uh, 20-something genre film. Uh, that is Lan Kwai Fong 2, a direct sequel to last year's uh, Lan Kwai Fong. And uh, this is basically a, a following in a similar vein, a film that uh, uh, basically has, a, you know, four groups of young people that end up having hookups together of some way, shape or form. But each of these characters and, and the stories is sort of a following a similar plot device or a similar plot style that you've seen in other films like this before. So there's really not a lot that's new here. Um, the, the first couple that we end up following uh, is a young young guy. He's a photography assistant. Uh, he works for a photographer who seems to do a lot of work with local celebrities and things. So it seems like he's got a, a decent job as the sort of up-and-coming up assistant. His name is Rain, and the girl that he ends up meeting while out clubbing is called Summer. Now, Summer has just broken away uh, from her boyfriend because her current boyfriend is actually married. That's one of the things we learn right at the beginning uh, of the film. Um, and it's something that's kind of easily forgotten, but it does play a significant part a bit later. They try and throw in sort of a twist um, to see if you've been paying attention or not. Um, so basically, Rain and Summer hook up. Now, Rain, um, as I said, he's kind of a working guy. Summer, on the other hand, is a rich girl. Uh, her daddy, her dad is very wealthy. Um, she has the ability to just go in and expensive shops and throw down credit cards and, uh, you know, drive around fancy cars and things. So that sort of sets up the tension for their relationship. The fact that he's kind of a poor guy and, and she's a rich girl. Um, when the dad finds out that, you know, Rain is dating Summer, um, he's none too happy about it. Uh, he considered, the dad considers himself to be sort of a, a player. I guess, and he sort of dresses... And he's a player-hater. Yeah, dresses the part, and so he sees Rain, and he thinks that Rain is a player as well, and so he tries to buy him off, you know, gives him a check, and then um, Summer ends up um, not really running away, but moving out from her dad and, and shacking up with Rain, but then she loses access to her credit cards, and so uh, more tension there. 
Um, and so that sets up the dynamic of their relationship. Now, one of Summer's friends, Maxim, uh, she's a DJ. She's the the club DJ. She's, I guess, apparently, um, you know, one of the really popular DJs uh, in in terms of her character in the film. I don't think the actress herself is it as has any DJing skills per se. Um, but she, <laughs> well, the comment there, Kevin. No, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> a DJ yeah. per se. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, you never know, right? I mean, it's different, you know, different pe- people aspire to be uh, talented in different areas. But she ends up uh, drawing the attention of a, a beat cop, a young, a young beat cop named Fai. And they have a few run-ins and, and Fai actually does a bad thing in that he uh, lets her go a few times when she's obviously been doing something that uh, she could be maybe qu- taken in for questioning for at the very least. Nothing overtly illegal, but... Uh, he, he doesn't really fulfill his policeman duties, per se, because he's kind of got a crush on her. Um, their relationship is kind of weird, because it never really gets too much into focus. It's kind of always like these missed momentary pairings that they have. Um, uh, the, the, the next group is uh, a, a young guy named Avis. Now, Avis is a he's a, basically an assistant to a big boss who's played by TVB personality uh, King Kong, um, who you've seen in... You know, a couple films here and there, usually bit parts and in, in some of the things like uh, the Chinese New Year films and, and things that are specifically TVB properties these days. Um, so he's got, he plays this role of this big boss. He's a big spender. And Avis is, I guess, like an assistant and helps manage his finances and, and investments and things like that. So while the boss is in the club. Avis is there, but he's usually working on the computer, and so the boss has always got all these girls around him. One of these girls is named QQ, and she is basically a prostitute. But she's the prostitute with, you know, the heart of gold. She's naive. She's she's bullied. Um, it's really weird because a couple of the scenes that bring these two characters together, Avis and QQ, is that the friends of the boss are trying to slip her roofies in her drink. Right. So that they can then, you know, go have their way and then not pay her, which I just found was like a really weird kind of thing to do. Um, I don't know. Maybe those guys are just cheap or they figured they they would get away with it because they could kind of a thing. Um, But anyway, Avis sees this behavior and he kind of, you know, uh, tries to rescue her um, in, in these occasions. And that brings them sort of closer together. No real tension or, or or nothing really dynamic about their relationship. Um, the final couple is Don and Siri. Now, Don is a friend of Rain, um, and he is like sort of the ultimate party playboy uh, archetype. And Siri is his direct counterpart. Siri is this uh, uh, girl that he meets accidentally because he ends up picking up her phone and seeing these... Uh, very, what would you say, sexy photos of her, but he never really gets to see her face on the phone. Um, So they have some text messages back and forth until they ultimately meet. Uh, But Siri, uh, much like Don, doesn't want a serious relationship. She just wants a physical relationship. But Don starts to find he's having feelings for Siri, and that starts to jeopardize the nature of the relationship between the two. So, yeah, that sets up. It's basically a story... A film of vignettes of stories jumping around from these characters. My problem was I didn't really care about any of them. Um, I don't know if it's I didn't connect with the actors at all. Um, I think of the uh, the the male actors, n- none of them really. I mean, I I really didn't feel a connection to any of them. Uh, I didn't feel sorry for any of them. I didn't feel like I wanted to root for any of them. Um, for the girls, I didn't really like any of them except for QQ. Um, maybe just because she was being bullied, and I hate bullies. So I kind of was in her corner for a little bit, but even so, I just didn't really feel a lot of motivation to really get behind any of these characters or any of their stories. It's basically people going out every night, Lang Kwai Fong. You only see one person work, really, and that's the character of Rain, um, you see him a couple times at his job, but nobody else seems to work. Summer's characters, like I said, rich. Maxim's the DJ, so when she's working, she's partying. Um, you know, Avis From the works. Beginning. 
Yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, Avis works all the time, yes. Avis works, but he's working in the club with his boss. Um, in the club. Yeah, sorry. And then Don, uh, you know, Don is just Don. Uh, you're never really sure what he does. Oh, in the beginning, he he gives like a presentation, but he's he's wearing like his um his hat, so you don't yeah. really notice. He's in yeah. his pre-clubbing costume. It, it's he 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 has like this superhero transformation, <laughs> um, because he goes from like this completely different character to this you know super made-up character. Um, it looked like with all the stuff that he did to himself, if he was just doing that by himself, it would take him the whole night just to get in that in 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 that type of. Uh, you know, outlook, I guess, to get ready to go out in club. And then the clubs would be closed, right? It'd be morning time. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really care. Uh, quite a few scenes because you've got so many of these characters uh, hooking up together. You've got really long takes of making out. I mean, really long takes of the characters just making out. And uh, quite a few times I kept saying, all right, you can move on. Um, it was almost like they were killing time, you know, to try and make the film longer. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the, these lead to pseudo lovemaking scenes, I guess you say, because there's no nudity. It's concealment like you like they were doing in Lang Kwai Fong 1. That's because they want to get the 2B rating. They want to get the, the teens in there, um, which they did. You know, we watched it at the Dynasty, which is, you know, usually nobody's watching films there. But there was quite a few young people there when we watched it. So I was quite surprised at the turnout. Um but yeah, the, the, there's there's nothing you know. There's just uh, backs shown and 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 sides shown, but there's no nudity per se shown. Uh, I think the character of Siri does. It's kind of like Vulgaria. She does have a brawless moment uh, in one scene. Uh, but you know, again, it's there's nothing really here in terms of if you're looking for uh, you know something that's more closer to category three. Not really. This this is not really the film for you. Um, there's also a lot of cameos, and that was the thing I did like about this film. There's quite a few cameos. Um, uh, GC Gooby, who's a well-known celebrity here in Hong Kong, radio personality, been in a, a few films, been on TV doing talk shows and things. She's actually the bar owner uh, of, of the bar that they frequent. Uh, and if, as you look at the trailer, there's a scene of her like in bed with a guy having a fight. For like two seconds and that scene i don't remember seeing in the film i think that was cut um but there's lots of other scenes of cameos the best thing alex fong has a cameo in this and he's awesome and when yeah. alex fong is awesome and that's the best thing about it with a cameo of alex fong you know your film's gonna have problems <laughs> um some of the other people nikki chow shows up haven't seen her in ages um you know uh it was nice to see her she was basically playing herself um uh you know uh, couple of their cameos in places to look out for alex fong's was the best though but basically this is youth fantasy right i mean because these are lifestyles that young 20-something people in hong kong could not possibly afford um you know going out and and partying all the time and, and trying to maintain that lifestyle um even living close to lang kwai fong is is not doable for most young people in hong kong um so it's really youth fantasy rich kids only need apply as a film, not very good at all. Um, not really worth your time. I'd say go back and watch uh, the original Lang Kwai Fong. Much more entertaining. Go back and watch a film like uh, 20-something with Jordan Chan back in 1995. Or even 20-something Taipei from 2002 or so. Um, this film, just not a whole lot there. So I'd say flee it. Uh, Mr. Ma, what was your take on Lang Kwai Fong 2? Okay. Um, disclaimer, I, I understood the first movie. Like, I, I, I didn't think it was a good movie, per se, but, you know, I thought, you know, it was what it is, and I understood what it was, and I got it, and I, in some way, I did enjoy it, even though it was a bad movie. Um, with that, with that said, you know, the only thing that's worse than trash movies, like Lang Kwai Fong, is incompetently made trash cinema, like Lang Kwai Fong 2. Um, it took essentially all the talking points of the first film. You know, everyone talked about the sex scenes and the, the scenes of partying. And it just amplified it to the nth degree in the sequel. And But then, you know, somehow they forgot to make a movie out of it. It's like 20 minutes into the movie and I was still wondering where the story was or when it was going to start. Uh, like I said, I didn't care about any of the characters. Uh, all these people are not particularly likable. 
um, their stories are really shallow and and none of it was really all that amusing. Um, Avis, I mean, you, the problem is you have a lot of stunt casting. For example, you had Avis Chan is actually uh, Christy Chow's boyfriend. Mm. He's actually a hairstylist making his film debut. Um, Calvin Kwan, I guess, kind of making getting his second chance, I suppose, after his 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 uh, personal problems. Shigalin is the only person that is the only star that returns, uh, and she's even worse than she was in the first movie. Um, you know, the characters are vapid, and you know, and then I'm supposed to be annoying this time. You know, you have these side characters like Summer's friend who randomly show up and and mix a lot of English, and it's like going to real Lan Kui Fong, except you you're forced to sit there and actually listen to these people talk. Unlike Lan Kui Fong, I just walk away or just talk to my own friends, and you know they ignore these people. Um, unlike you know, unlike Stephanie Chan in the first film, who is like this gold digger character who you know was really annoying. These characters aren't even supposed to be annoying, and yet they are. Um, in fact, the actors in this movie make the cast of the first film look like the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm. That's how good they were. I miss Jason Chan. I miss Tao Sin. I miss Emmy Wong. I miss uh, even Zoe to a degree. Because you know those people actually you know, their care I could understand the first movie conceptually. You could tell okay they were telling a story about the various um, characters within a club, from the owner to the manager to the people who frequent it, and all the stories. Okay, I understood that. I understood that. But here is just vapid, throw crap at the wall, and then have a bunch of you know tease sex scenes that not really sex. They're just making out in underwear. Uh, and it's just fantasy fulfillment for kids who are too young to hit the clubs. And and I asked this question to Kozo, you know, these are this and Bulgaria are equally unhealthy movies. But if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather my kids watch Bulgaria because after they watch Bulgaria, at least they wouldn't want to be in the movie business. You know, <laughs> unlike Lan Kuei Fong 2, where they watch it and they'll be like, yeah, this is fun. I want to sex and, and make them underwear all day long. Yeah. Um, yeah, at least they'll be scared away. You know, that, that's, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and of course, we'll talk about the ending. Um, I don't want to ruin anything. Actually, I do, but I shouldn't. Um, it has one of the worst endings uh, in a romance. Yeah. So basically, I, think, uh, I mean, if you've seen a typical boy meets girl film, you know, and this the the the, the story between the two main characters um, of Rain and Summer is is basically they're all kind of boy meets girl stories, but theirs is the more central story. And, yes. you know, usually it goes through boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. So when boy loses girl, he always has to do something big to get girl back, right? We, we've seen this thing in countless movies. Last one that I remember, which was done kind of okay, was uh, First Time, right, with uh, Angela Baby. And and so they've got to, he's got to do that here as sort of the film's final moment. And it's just so lame. I won't spoil it, but it's just terrible. It's... It's, it's one of the not worst. It's supposed and, to be that difficult and, to come up with that climax, but yet what they have here is just so terrible. It's so silly. And it's terrible. silly and, and totally impossible and improbable, especially in Lang Kwai Fong in Hong Kong. You know. Yes, and yeah, and it's freaking silly. The entire idea of it is just silly. And seriously, I you know, it's not even a twist ending. I, I was telling Kozo that the ending was so bad, I wish M. Night Shyamalan came in and, 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 and did spin doctor on it. <laughs> Yeah. And Doctor Daskrip. That's it, how bad the ending was. It, it was. Uh, I mean, they they might have just had you know Merlin the magician show up and cast magic or something, <laughs> <laughs> or you know have like twenty twelve happen and you know every Long Kui Fong explodes and Kevin calls to save her or yeah. something. Even that ending. Would be I like, mean, it, it, well, it's, at least it didn't come up. It's nowhere. the concept. Uh, I'll, I'll say a little bit of the concept. They, they they basically try and get a flash mob thing going. That in and of itself is not bad, but what they actually do with the flash mob is just terribly and ludicrous for Hong Kong. Um, but uh, you know, I dig, I digress. So, so what do you say, Kevin? It's a definite see it, right? <laughs> no, skip it. Skip it. Seriously. It's one of the worst movies of the year. Only if you're like, if you're like a masochist or, you know, you're a really sad, lonely place in the corner and you felt like, and you feel like, you know, torturing yourself. Then yes, go ahead and pop in Lan Kui Fong too. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot more to, to say about it. Not a very good film. Again, if you're in the mood for something similar, watch the first film. It, it's it's a lot better. Um, but on that same note, um, we were talking about this on Twitter a couple days ago. 
Uh, film's doing pretty well financially, right? I mean, uh, can we expect the Lang Kwai Fong three this time next year? Yeah, I think by 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 tomorrow the film's uh, gross would exceeded the first movie's gross within a week. So um, yeah, uh, I guess we should be expecting a third movie. And of course, like we said on Twitter, I'm hoping that Lang Kwai Fong three stands for Category Three finally. Yeah, but more likely it's going to be three D. So. <laughs> Why? And I said, you know, you're gonna have drunk foreigners barfing out at the screen, right? Yeah, actually, uh, when we went there, Marco, Marco, and Diogo, they, they did a count of uh, of uh, number of fo- fo- uh, foreigners in the film, and from 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 the fo- four in the first film, they went a lot further in diversity. Apparently, they they found a uh, thirty something or twenty four or something like that. For this one? Yes. Really, including the little cameos, you know, of them like getting caught on on screen and things like that. So he, I think they counted, you know, twenty something hmm. foreigners. So it's a it's a it's a really huge step ahead in you know in terms of diversity for the franchise. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we'll have to wait and see if Lang Kwai three Lang Kwai Fong three is going to be in our future next year. Twenty one, Marco says. Twenty. <laughs> twenty one. Twenty one foreigners. So they've they've met the union quota. Right. <laughs> All right, uh, up next for our next film for East Screen, Naked Soldier. Um, Kevin, since I talked about uh, the synopsis for Lang Kwai Fong, why don't you tell us about Naked Soldier? Sure, uh, Naked Soldier is the so-called the third film in uh, third to Wong Jing's trilogy uh, as producer, uh, three naked movies. The first one was, uh, I think, Naked Killer. The second one was Naked Weapon. Uh, this is the so-called third movie, I guess. Um and of course, he handed the director. He while well, he wrote the script, he handed the directorial duties over to Marco Mack, uh, a very uh, uh, often frequent collaborator, so to speak. Um, the movie uh, stars Jennifer Say. Actually, this was her first starring role, uh, even because it's her first starring role because this movie was shelved for a while. So actually, this was made I think a year and a half or two years ago. Um, stars, uh, she stars as, uh, Phoenix, a girl who was, uh, kidnapped as a child by an evil, evil villain named Madame Rose. Uh, Madame Rose decided to, 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 uh, kidnap her after, um, her father, um, played by Samuel Hong, uh, pulled a really huge drug bust on Madame Rose's operation. So as revenge, uh, she kills his entire family, but leaves Phoenix alive. And of course, Samuel uh, managed to survive the attack as well. Um, after she kidnaps Phoenix, uh, she brainwashes her um, into becoming one of her many uh, soldiers that she calls her kids, and she of course trains them to be professional killers and plants them all over the world. You know, in places like um, um, America and uh, and uh, Japan and and, uh, and of course Phoenix's state is uh, based is in Taiwan. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, in in their latest mission. Um, Phoenix um, spares um, several targets, several of her of the side uh, sideline, you know, people standing sidelines, and and she is um, by doing that, she leaves a lot of evidence for the for Interpol, uh, including her own father, uh, who starts to uh, use those evidence to track Madame Rose's uh, uh, organization. So Madame Rose, um, to to make sure that this doesn't happen, uh, sends her killers to go. Uh, get rid of the evidence in 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 Taiwan, uh, but meanwhile, Interpol has already sent a young cop uh, named Sam, played by Andy On, uh, to investigate. And in the process, she he meets uh, Phoenix. Uh, but of course, uh, they dots started getting put together, and and uh, Samo, who has been investigating the case as well, starts wondering if if Phoenix is actually really is uh, the daughter that he lost years ago. Uh, honestly, that's really not much of a story there. Um, Hey, why is this movie set in 1995? It's very strange because the opening that that we missed the first minute and a half. But yes, the opening of the movie actually is set in 1980, and then the movie jumps 15 years, and the caption tells us that the movie is set in 1995. And yet, people have tablet computers <laughs> and X-ray machines and multiple X-ray machines that read, you know, like they're like a total recall machine. That's what I call it, total recall machine where they can read like body scan and stuff like that. And everyone has laptops in, in, in libraries. So yes, the only reason for this is probably censorship. Sarf probably did not want this movie to take place before 1997 uh, and all that other variant thing. Who knows? But that actually was the, was the um, 
the source of several jokes in the movie because you know you have these you know super new technology show up and you suddenly wonder why is it 1995 man yeah anyway that was funny um as one can expect uh really wooden acting uh really nonsensical and really thin story but you know we watched this movie right after we watched Lan Kui Fong 2 so it was really a lot of fun to watch you know, it was really amusing and, you know, um, a lot to laugh at, you know, lots and of, you know. We should point out, too, that uh, because you, I, I wasn't there for this film. I had, to, I had to leave a bit early, but because the group saw it as a double feature, it's sort of Timmy Hung night, right? Because he was in both Lan Kwai Fong 2 and Naked Soldier. Yes, indeed. And uh, Timmy Hung, has, of course, he only, he only has this cameo in Lan Kwai Fong 2. And here he gets, uh, he has a um, thing, he has several scenes with his father. Um, and even though they don't play father and son, they, they play partners or like inter, Interpol colleagues. But yeah, they, they kind of play off each other. In fact, I think they have the best chemistry uh, in the film. Um, thanks to Jennifer Say, of course, but uh, a little more later. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to laugh at. You know, all the, all the inconsistent stuff and, um, you know, the 1995 and all the, you know, bad action and you know, all the bad acting. It's all kind of fun to watch. Um, however, Jennifer Say, girl, you, you deserve better than this. Seriously, like this, her character has not much of, you know, but why? No depth why, why do you say that? She's and, only done like two and I think films. Actually, instead of deserving better, I think she should have chosen better. If she was going to become this big actress and for a big debut, she shouldn't probably have, shouldn't have signed Wong Jing, of all people. Yeah. Um, however, you know, apparently they, she was already a couple of Indians, so they were making nice googly eyes at each other, and you know, they have, you can tell there's some chemistry on screen. So, so my heart was going all inside. But yes, uh, I believe that Samuel Hong and Timmy actually had more chemistry than did any on it. Jennifer, though, even though that's part because uh, the Jennifer character is so is so weak. Um, Samuel Hong does well for what it is. He doesn't have much to do. Um, he does pull up some action, and you know he adds a lot of weight to the proceedings because you know, you have a vet- veteran actor who knows what he's doing, and and um, yeah, he he brings a lot of weight to the movie. Um, but my favorite part of the movie was Ian Powers and Jiang Lusha as a as a, a villain couple named tiger and honey because ian power is like this really fe- effeminate kind of gay villain character meanwhile jang lusha um this the 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 woman in uh she was the co-star of a uh, vampire warriors you know a very good martial artist who keeps getting stuck in bad movies she plays like a tomboy lesbian villain named honey and they like always fighting together and i want a spinoff i don't care about anyone else in that movie i want a tiger and honey spinoff that was that. That's how much fun they were. Um, there's a really great cameo at the end, uh, towards the end of the movie. I don't want to say who because it might ruin the surprise because I didn't see it coming either. But yes, um, that cameo is is really good. But ultimately, this is just the entertainment at its best. It's really a direct-to-video kind of flick that you know is is thrown in theaters because they have to get cred reputation for for the video release. But you know, really, you should just watch this on video, um, and it fulfills expectations. It's fine. It's really trashy. Like I said. You know, the only thing worse than trash cinema is incompetently made trash cinema, but this is okay trash cinema. Um, you don't really expect it to be anything more, and it kind of succeeds at its really low, low ambition. So it's fine. You know, I would say at best it's a TV. Hit. I mean, don't mistake it for a good movie, but it is. It was certainly more fun than Lang Kui Fong too. I think. Uh, Paul. Yeah. Um. Wow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nobody gets naked. Yes, so, that's true. Th- th- this is my part of my problem. I mean, th- they're trying to build in the you know the tradition of uh, uh, naked weapon, right, and, and and other such films. But at least people seemed like they got naked in those films, even though they didn't. Um, here, nobody gets naked at all. I mean, the the closest thing you get is a, an assassination that happens in a hot tub with uh, you know the young assassin and an African American guy who. Um, is her is her hit basically, um, but they're wearing you know swimsuits in in the tub, and that's the that's the closest that the things get. Um, and where I mean, was this taking place? Because, China should tell you already that. that but where was this taking yeah, place? You you mentioned Taiwan, but there's a scene where um, the uh, the young the uh, the young girl is um, on the court with a basketball team, and they're wearing Ohio State jerseys. Um, so I'm thinking, are they in, is it, you know, what's up with that? Um, uh, just kind of weird in, in the way it's kind of constructed, the way it's kind of paced the story. 
there's just not a whole lot there. You know, it's kind of a, it kind of wants to be sort of the, uh, um, you know, what's the, what's the show that Maggie Q is doing right now? Um, uh, La Femme Nikita. Nikita. Yeah. It's kind of like that a little bit, but you've got Samo as a dad missing the daughter. Is he going to get her back? Um, and other than that, there's just not a whole lot there. You know, um, the, the, the whole brainwashing thing was kind of cheesy. Um, I love the design this line. But we keep going, you might kill our brain cells. <laughs> um, but, you know, say, I'll say this about Samo. He's still kind of got it. Um, Andy on here really didn't do a whole lot. He was kind of just Andy eye candy, right? Um, uh, but, you know, it was nice to see Samo and his son, Timmy Hung, working together. Um, Samo gets a fight scene with Ian Powers, which is great. You know, uh, if you if you don't mind Ian Powers doing his, uh, gay shtick, which he's, you know, kind of done in a couple films before, um, he, he really goes sort of full on here. And, but the, I think the choreography and, and some of the action sequences were, were pretty well done considering this is not a, you know, high budget film or even, I don't think it's even a medium budget film. Um, so it's, it, it was kind of nice to see Samo back in action. I really thought that he was just going to have sort of a small, uh, bit part and kind of, you know, be in the back seat while, the, you know, Andy on and Jennifer say were sort of at the forefront, but no, he's, he's pretty substantial, uh, in the film. And I was, I was kind of happy about that. Um, you know, again, he also fights a mystery guest who I totally didn't expect, uh, to have a fight scene at all, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things that's weak story, but decent action. And, you know, the, the, the whole is not as good as, as some of the parts in this case, but watch it for some of those parts. Um, uh, and I think that you, if you like, you know, these, these kind of lower budget action films, uh, you'll, you'll get something out of this. Um, don't watch it for the story though, because there's just not a whole lot there. The it whole, is total trash. Yes, yeah. it's total. The, trash. the whole back in time thing was kind of weird, but you know, I I, I kind of get it. Um, but yeah, you can pick out a lot of continuity issues because they're doing that. Um, so yeah, watch it for Samo. Uh, watch it if you like uh, uh, Jennifer Say, but don't watch it if you're expecting to see naked people or a naked weapon because there's none of that. So TV it. Yeah. Yes, go go for the trash. Stay for the Samo. <laughs> um all right uh let's move on and talk about uh some west screen stuff all right so um we had hoped to talk about a couple more east screen films uh there are some uh there's some some other films playing because of some festivals and things smaller festivals here in hong kong i was hoping to get out and see uh after school midnighters are the weekend. Of course, I was not able to do so. I got uh, tied down with family stuff. Kevin was going to try and see Wolf Children. He was not able to do so. Um, but we do have one West Screen film to talk about, and uh, that is the latest from Woody Allen, uh, which Kevin, you've been out to see. So why don't you tell us about uh, To Roam with Love? Yes, uh, To Roam with Love is the latest film, essentially this year's. Woody Allen film. Um, not a lot, not a whole lot of buzz around it because you know it is not. Um, it didn't really get the buzz Midnight in Paris did because yeah, um, the film just isn't very good. Uh, this is a very big ensemble piece. Um, this is much more a movie about the city and ba- you know it, it kind of takes a backseat to multiple stories happening at the same time, um, and of course lots of big stars. Uh, first you have Jesse Eisenberg, Ellen Page, and uh, Alan Baldwin uh, in a story about an aspiring architect played by Jesse Eisenberg, um, and who, whose living girlfriend's best friend, played by Alan Page, um, visits town. And, uh, of course, uh, she is like the, the, the fantasy Woody Allen female character, you know, this free spirit, you know, who we knows her stuff, but, of course, it turns out she's a false intellectual. But, um, yeah, free spirit, sexual revolution, all that crap, and, of course, he falls in love with her. And Alan Baldwin shows up um, as the older version of him, kind of like the angel on his shoulder telling him that we tell him that story uh, and give him advice. So you don't really know who's, it's kind of a surreal story. You don't know who's, who's uh, angle is from. Uh, meanwhile, you also have Roberto Benini uh, from uh, 
you know, the really famous, um, popular Italian actor, um, who plays an everyday man who suddenly one day wakes up and then becomes really famous as in he's hunted down, hounded by, by the media. He's going on TV shows and suddenly everyone wants to know what he's doing, what he's eating. Um, but he has no idea why he's famous. Uh, but of course the point there is really obvious, uh, later on. Um, and then meanwhile you have Woody Allen himself, uh, and Judy Davis and of course Alison Pill from, um, from the newsroom and uh, Scott Pilgrim, uh, they're in their own story. Uh, Woody Allen plays a retired music producer who who is kind of restless and wants to be out there again. Um, he was a, a theater stage director who was avant-garde and was never really fully appreciated, but was really into experimental stuff. But now he's retired and he meets uh, his daughter's uh, boyfriend's family um, and, and discovers that his father uh, is actually a really great opera singer, but only when he's in the shower. But uh, it, nevertheless, he really wants to um, take advantage of that voice and make him famous again. Essentially, he wants his, his he wants to essentially get back into the the, the music world also as well. Uh, meanwhile, you have Penelope Cruz um, and other Italian actors whose name I didn't have time to look up. Um, in a, in a, another story about um, a new married couple arriving in Rome. Um, here for a new job uh, that depend that's dependent on the husband's family. But while the wife is out um, trying to get a haircut, trying to get her hair done, she gets lost and, and wanders farther and farther away from the hotel and, of course, gets into her own little venture. Meanwhile, the husband um, is, is, is met by a, a prostitute played by Penelope Cruz, who, for some, some kind of misunderstanding, um, becomes mistaken for, for his wife. So, of course, she has to play along for the rest of the day. Um, uh, and then try to convince uh, his family that you know she's she's actually his wife. You know it's not a really complicated plot there. Um, yeah, it, it seems like every only other every only every other Woody Allen movie is actually worth watching or it's really inspiring. You know it's like it's kind of like Star Trek movies where you only you only watch like the odd numbers but not the even numbers. And this, I think, is an even number movie. If Midnight in Paris was an odd number movie, then this is an even number movie. And uh, there's a lot of hit and miss. The humor is really hit and miss. And I, it feels like Woody Allen's just kind of working for the sake of working. Um, um, the stars are good. You know, Alec Baldwin, Roberto Benigni, Ellen Page, Penelope Cruz are all good. But it feels like half the cast is just glad to be there and kind of playing along and just following what, what Woody wants him to do. Um, a lot of good surreal humor, but... Uh, I think the movie runs out of steam pretty quickly. The movie runs 112 minutes, and you know, with four stories, you expect the thing to go by pretty quickly. But actually, most of the stories are really one note, and they're really just essentially a couple of jokes, and they one and it runs. It gets pretty flat pretty quickly. About halfway, you kind of know where their, those stories are going, and you just kind of want it to be over. But it still has another 50 minutes to go. Um, yeah, it's it's okay. It's not really we get. You know, there are a couple of good laughs. You know, the story about the the, the Woody Allen's uh, daughter's uh, future father-in-law as the opera singer. You know, that that kind of a good joke. And there's a lot of really hilarious imagery there. The audience I watched it with really really had a lot of fun with that one. Even though I personally really liked the Roberto Benigni one. Um, again, that one runs out of steam pretty quickly. But I think I like that story a little more. I thought it was funnier. Um, but it feels like an interlude. It just feels like a break, a kind of um. I want to make a movie for the sake of making a movie after Midnight in Paris. You, it's just one of those things you wait for. You kind of get tied yourself over, you know, before Woody Allen makes something really good again, um, which I expect so for the next film because it's an even number movie. So um, TV it if you they, if you know what to expect from a Woody Allen movie. Uh, otherwise, it. it, it if you're new, you know, if you don't know much about Woody Allen and you want to watch one of his movies, this would not be your, you know, introductory. Instead, you know, watch Midnight in Paris or even go all the way back and watch like Annie Hall or you know, much better movies than this one. You know, it, I'm, I'm interested about the choice of uh, Jesse Eisenberg and uh, and Ellen Page. Uh, do you think he's, you know, uh, picking sort of the current gen actors to try and... Uh, pull in young people to his films now oh definitely and i think i think he's always on lookout for new talent jesse eisenberg i think jesse eisenberg in a way does channel woody allen you know he's a he's a potential you know woody allen likes to cast actors to to kind of channel his own kind of acting you know like like owen wilson did in midnight in paris or kenneth Branagh did in uh, celebrity mm. and i think i think jesse eisenberg has that kind of potential he has that kind of persona and i think yes he is 
gathering a lot of uh, talented young actors to try and uh, like, I think because, Owen um, Wilson was uh, first time working with uh, it was the first time I worked with uh, Woody Allen right I think yeah. Midnight in Paris it's interesting because uh, you know uh, a lot of people used to say that uh, Jesse Eisenberg was kind of a uh, so, so, sort of the, the doppelganger for uh, Michael Sarah. yes right? yes who was um, you know he was a uh, in uh, the movie with uh, Ellen Page, um, Juno, right? Yes, but but unlike um, but unlike uh, Sarah, Michael Sarah, I think Jesse Eisenberg has done much better dramatic work than Michael Sarah has. Yeah, I think so Michael. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Michael Sarah has been uh, hasn't been able to break the mold of uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> yes, he's still sort of stuck in that 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 phase uh, of stuff. Even even I mean, like Scott Pilgrim, which I love. Um, I still see a lot more of his Arrested Development character in that than I do of the Scott Pilgrim character from uh, the the comic books. In, in uh, other words, Jesse Eisenberg has a better agent than Michael. <laughs> maybe, or maybe maybe he's just more talented. I don't know. Ooh. Um, you know, we'll have to have a a, a celebrity death match between Michael Sarah and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> that would be fun to watch, right? Um, all right. So yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not a huge Woody Allen fan, but I did love uh, Midnight in Paris. Uh, if you're not a fan of Woody Allen, kind of no really no real need to catch on to this one right away. Yeah, there's no real need to watch this if you're, if you're not like a diehard Woody Allen fan, I would say. Mm. All right, good to know. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. We don't have a video pick this week. I was uh, thinking to maybe do... um, um, uh, Naked Weapon... Uh, I think there's a Blu-ray of that, right? Might be for yeah. me, Asia. Uh, it might be, uh, but I don't. No, yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't had time to get out to the to the store and uh, and and check. But maybe we'll do that for next week. So a little bit of a short show this week, uh, but uh, we covered three movies and and in the news. So I think we rounded things out fairly nicely. Um, comments, if you would like to be part of the show, of course you can always. Uh, you know, uh, go over and leave some comments for us. Uh, head over to our website at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, or you can go over to iTunes and leave us some comments or some feedback there. We would love to hear from you. And if you leave us uh, some, you know, nice star ratings, uh, that'll help us out as well. Uh, Twitter, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Kongcast to follow the show and updates from the show, whether we're gonna, when we're going to be uh, broadcasting and uh, when we're going to be postponed and those kinds of things. Of course, you can follow me at twitter.com slash foxlore, although I don't tweet as much as I used to. You can follow Mr. Ma, though, at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, and I would urge you to do so because he is continuously giving us information about films, uh, data and facts and figures from uh, revenues and all kinds of interesting things, so please do follow him if you are inclined to follow movie news at all. You can email us directly via Gmail. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you send us a question, a comment, uh, we might talk about it here on the show. Even if you'd like to send us a short review, audio review, uh, keep it short and sweet, MP3 format, and we'll play it here on the show as well. Uh, Also, don't forget we do have a presence now on Facebook. Uh, That is facebook.com slash eastscreen. West S. That's facebook.com slash East Est, East S West Est. And uh, Kevin, what can people find over there? Um, well, I'll post, each, of course, I'll be posting trailers for everything that, that we watch uh, and talk about on a show. Uh, of course, little bit tidbits of stuff. I post the Guillotines trailer um, there, even though there was no response. Um, but you know, it's a good start. Uh, of course, if you don't remember the, the URL that we just mentioned, um, you can just look up East screen, West screen, and we should pop up as a radio station. Um, and yeah, I run it, but, but of course, uh, leave comments and, uh, anything that I can pass on to Paul that we can both answer. Um, 
we'll do our best to answer and uh yeah just come in and like us like like, like. we like to be liked you like to be liked. excellent and of course if you are itunes averse you can always catch us on stitcher you can listen to us on your iphone your android phone your blackberry and your WebOS phone stitcher is smart radio for your phone find it in your app store or at stitcher.com Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank Stitcher for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Govers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of uh, lovehkfilm.com for helping us organize movie nights right here in Hong Kong, uh, K-Man for being with me on his birthday, and for 121-plus episodes, and of course, you the listeners uh, for being here with us each and every week, whether you're on the live stream and again, a shout out to the chat room, or you listen to us in podcast form. Uh, we appreciate that you guys are there. Next episode, uh, episode 122, we're going to be talking about the latest from Cecilia Chung, uh, The Lion Roars 2, uh, sort of the sequel, but not a direct sequel, I'm guessing, to a film she did with Louis Koo back in the day, The Lion Roars. Uh, film doing pretty well, apparently, in China, already has a China release, that's right? Kevin? Yes, that's right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and already made seventy million renminbi, which um, is I think the highest grossing Cecilia movie since Oswald Ends for two thousand eleven. And that's we're talking about four consecutive flops, and mm. then finally. So this could be the Cecilia. the comeback for Miss Chung, and we'll have to see how that's doing. We'll be out to watch it this week, and we'll be back next week to report on it and some other films. Uh, that all that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Happy birthday, Kevin!